The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Now, Explorers Podcast is a bit of a misnomer with this one because we're talking about Juno Minerals. The code is JNO, trading at about 12.5 cents for a market cap of 17 million. And I say it's a bit of a misnomer because uh, Juno uh, came to the market last year uh, sporting uh, not one but two iron ore projects in WA, in the central Yilgarn region of WA. Uh, the Mount Mason, a DSO uh, direct shipping operation, Hematite, and of course the big Mount Ida Magnetite project. Lots to talk about here as the company progresses those towards development. With us today, we have Greg Durack, the MD and CEO. G'day, Greg. Welcome to the podcast. G'day, Barry, and uh, thanks for having me on. Hey, Greg. I think a lot of people know about the projects, but uh, not parceled up in Juno, as it were. So give us a bit of a snapshot of your professional background and the, uh, a bit of a snapshot on Juno's history today. Yeah, for sure, Barry. So um, I've been in the mining industry for probably just over 40 years now. Um, started life as a chemist, but I really liked the being out in the field. Started life in uh, gold mining out in the West Australian gold fields. Uh, spent three and a half years up in Papua New Guinea on the Octeti project when that started up on gold and was there for the initial expansion into copper. Came back to Australia, worked in Queensland, running a uh, tailings retreatment operation for gold. Um, they were spent about 12 years in with Normandy Mining uh, before they got taken over by uh, Newmont. I uh, was general manager at Big Bell for a while and also the Caltails operation. Okay, yeah. So on the Harfo feasibility study in Ghana. And then they sent me to Greece for four and a half years in northeastern Greece, developing the Parama Gold project, getting trying to get that all permitted. But uh, that was location was great, but uh, I was going to say, yeah, it was pretty difficult. But, Bit of a nightmare uh, project, yeah. Certainly. Then I came back to Australia and joined a MD of a junior company, Tavia Mining, and uh, we did the feasibility study on the deflected gold copper project. Um, didn't quite get up at the time due to the metal prices, but um, it's good to see that project uh, kicking goals of late. So that was, you know, we did a lot of hard work into that in the early days. And of course, um, had a few non-exec director roles on junior companies. But where I sort of became involved in the Central Yulgarn Iron Project was um, I was a CEO of Jupiter Mines back from 2007 to 2013. And I looked after Australian iron assets uh, and then Jupiter had the... Um, you know, chippy manganese project in South Africa, which was the main project. And yeah, you know, main controlling um, shareholder was Pallinghurst Group, which was our chairman was uh, Brian Gilbertson, and my direct boss was uh, Priyank Thapliel. So, so yeah, we spent over fifty million dollars on these projects back then, and um, and uh, developed and took them to where they are today. And then uh, the iron ore price really took a tank in two thousand thirteen, and we just stopped everything in. Western Australia, and um, I put myself off at the end of the day as long as other people. And, and then uh, five years I spent with Pilgrim Minerals as a study manager and looked after metallurgy and process design on the Pilgrim Gura lithium tannin project, which has turned out uh, very well. Uh, and then I 
sort of like semi-retired after that. So I was consulting to them on a limited basis in the day. And my old boss, Priyank, um, got in contact with me about two years ago and spouted that Jupiter was uh, going to spin out the iron assets and whether I'd be interested in um, coming in and working on the IPO and running the company. So I really jumped at the chance of that. So I got back in and I gave up a non-exec role on a junior company to totally focus on Juno Minerals. So um, that was all spun out in specie distribution, Juno Minerals. So it's a completely separate entity to Jupiter. Jupiter doesn't hold any shares in, in, in Jupiter mines. And we listed in May, 14th of May last year, and so it's been a pretty busy time. Well, it was a busy time getting the IPO away too, mind you. <laughs> but uh, in conjunction with Melissa North, Jupiter's uh, um, CFO and company secretary, so we did it all ourselves. Um, but, yeah, so we've been listed for 14 months now. Um, we've uh, re-permitted the uh, Mount Mason DSO hematite project, so that's all fully permitted, ready to go. It was a development project, so it's a small that's our small DSI project. Maybe we'll focus on that one first. Just by the way, you're the, I think we've done about 200 of these podcasts now, and you're the first guy to admit to uh, being in the game for more than 40 years, even though there's been dozens. <laughs> so good <laughs> on you for doing that. Oh, yeah, it's a mighty, this is a great space. Um, you get to meet a lot of great people and learn a lot over the time. I must admit, I'm still learning, <laughs> mind you. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, Mason, DSO, uh, hematite, uh, direct ship. So obviously, um, the first cab on the development rack uh, with Mount Ida to follow for decades to come, of course. But tell us a bit about uh, Mount Mason. I understand you've got a a Q4 financial year 2023 sort of production target subject to pinning down a logistics chain? Correct. So that's uh, what we're targeting. So the feasibility study was done back when I was with Jupiter, but uh, we took a completely different tack with uh, Juno Minerals and looking at just more of a straight-up contracting basis. So last year we went out to um, con- tender all the major contracts, such as uh, mining, the road developments, the crushing, the haulage, etc. so we could get uh, um, real hard numbers into our financial model. And plus, while doing that, we continued on permitting the project. So both our Mount Mason project came fully permitted in early April and our Yandaga Rail siding just south of Menzies got fully permitted in uh, uh, December last year. So the really last two things we need to lock away is, um, well, the rail access and the access down to the port. So that's what we're working on currently. And that's all moving in the in the right direction, I have to say. But um, yeah. But uh, we're actually, we are now, because obviously the pricing's moved on a little bit since uh, we did the tenders last year, um, we're actually going out to reprice the tenders next month, well, later this month, um, and update uh, with our preferred tenderers. So we'll have a revised financial model by the end of um, August um, in which to take the project forward. So, But, yeah, it's a ready-made project, so um, we're pretty keen to get that up and running. Um, Obviously, depending on iron ore price, which is pretty volatile at the moment, we are pretty confident that uh, the iron ore price is still going to remain favourably going forward. So, and when you talk about the, the port, that's the port of Esperance you'll be talk, uh, using. Yeah, so the Esperance port, um, yeah, it's a it the Esperance port does want to become a multi-user port for iron ore, and yeah, there is currently spare capacity there. Um, there's probably about three million tons spare capacity currently. Um, so everything's moving along in the right sort of direction there. So it's probably all about all I can um, really share at the moment. But I was just wondering, are you able to say anything at all about potential scale, size, 
Yeah, so we, um, we're we looking at, um, we, we first looked at about a million tonnes uh, per annum, but uh, now we're looking at, uh, we're going out repricing the tenders at 1.35 million tonnes per annum. It just makes a lot more sense in an operating cost sense, you know, so that's what we're repricing at, 1.35, which will be, is probably about what the maximum of the mine could handle anyway, but uh, yeah, that's what we're targeting. And it would have a bit of life to it? Uh, there's currently about um, three years life at that, so there's potential to grow. There's mm. a, yeah, there's more, there's, we start off with a small pit and then there's a main pit. Back in the days, we didn't do a lot of drilling between those two pits, but there is scope to increase the resources there and also to the south as well. And there's some other op- options that we can also increase our tonnage there as well. Getting down to Espence would be by rail, existing rail? Yep, certainly. We looked at um, trucking to Kalgoorlie to a site there, which is available, which would make an overhaul overall haul distance of about um, 300 and by road, 350 kilometres. But looking at some of the pricing we're getting back from above rail, costs for rail costs it's just so compelling to bring our young Daga rail siding in from the get-go I was looking at deferring that but um, it's just very compelling to get that rail siding a minimalist rail siding up and running so Juno's in the most fortunate position is that we do actually have a a fully approved uh, rail siding development site just south of Menzies which would mean a 120k haul by road and then 500k haul by rail, and and those sort of uh, logistics make sense. It's it's really what another operator in the region does. Um, you know, it's not too different. The existing operator in the region or those sort of um, distances. I mentioned uh, at the opening, market cap was about 17 million. So, I think any fair person would say you know the market cap is justified by the Mount Mason project. But then in the background, you've got the big one, uh, Mount Ida Magnetite, 1.8. Five billion tonne resource, um, capable of being producing sixty-seven percent uh, concentrate. And you mentioned in the opening there fifty million dollars spent to date. So, what's happening there? Yeah, well, <clears throat> obviously we're focused on getting Mount Mason up and running um, um, as soon as we can. Um, but the Mount Ida Magnetite project is the biggest project in the um, um, Yilgarn region, and it's the most technically advanced. So we did a hell of a lot of work, as you know, fifty million dollars. The majority of that went went into Mount Ida with over 100 kilometres of drilling. So, you know, all the technical disciplines have been done, but really to move that project along is I really want to look at a different alternate uh, flow sheet um, using a lot more dry processing up front and more efficient communication methods due to what was done previously in Western Australia. So, and yeah, FMG are doing that. They developed a flow sheet like that um, on the Iron Bridge project, so sort of keeping a close eye on how those guys go. But um, it's certainly the way of the future in alternate flow sheet rather than conventional ones. But um, And, of course, we do have a lot of tenure tied up in the fable, you know, for water exploration. So really to move that project along is that, um, you know, it's a large project and uh, realistically is that, you know, we'll look to attract a major partner into that at project level. Um, so it's pretty safe to say that, but um, because these are huge capital cost um, projects um, and, you know, it needs a major to come in on that. And we'll look to doing that um, sometime in the, in the near future. But really to bring that project along is, um, you know, shore up our water supply, 
you know, do some more metallurgical test work and pilot plant test work on an alternate flow sheet. And then look at what sort of scale do we really want to sort of get into, taking into account, you know, the capital and operating cost scenarios for these types of projects. Now, everyone's aware, obviously, of the what uh, Fortescue and Rio and BHP producing the Pilbara currently. You mentioned Fortescue adding a magnetite from Ironbridge before long. But what is going on in the magnetite space? It seems that uh, the appeal of the 67% concentrate uh, capability has particular ESG uh, values that, invent, well, the steel industry being the end users sort of uh, crying out for. Uh, yeah, for sure, Barry. So um, I forgot to mention, but um, you know, Hancock Prospecting Atlas is our, our new neighbours in uh, at Mount Bevan, so that's about eight k's from Mount Ida. Yeah, there's a, a whole cluster of them there in that central Yorga, isn't there? Hmm. Yeah, so they they are looking at magnetite. Yeah, and the majors are looking, apart from Rio and BHP. I think they've got quite a fair bit of DSO to get through, but um, certainly uh, magnetite is going to become a preferred feedstock into um, China. You know, especially with green hydrogen. But leaving green hydrogen aside, um, you're dealing with a higher grade iron product getting fed into the smelters you know so the green benefits of it is that you need less fluxes to smelt it and then you've got less fluxes to dispose of slags to dispose so these are all environmental footprints but another beauty of magnetite is that it's actually exothermic in the um, smelting process so you require less energy to actually smelt it produce it into steel you know there's quite a lot of advantages of, of of magnetite Plus, not only that is that, you know, you get a much more consistent feed product into the smelters. You know, in the DSO world and everything, there's such a wide range of um, different specifications, you know, of products around which all require blending at different um, smelters. So, but yeah, no, so we're pretty, very excited about, you know, magnetite is, is will become a preferred uh, feedstock into the smelters for all the reasons I've just said. And that's why we're seeing, uh, apart from, you know, Hancock and others getting in. We've got projects uh, on the boil in South Australia as well. Do you know off the top of your head what sort of premium uh, magnetite 67% concentrate uh, sells at uh, roughly currently to the 62% FE benchmark that Pilbara Boys price off? Well, it's about 50 bucks. I think it's about 50 US dollars a tonne um, above above uh, 62%. And then you get quite a, and then another premium for pellets. So, yeah, so the differential is, yeah, it's about 40 US dollars a tonne at 62 to um, 67 to the amount of our product. Yeah, 40 US dollars a tonne. And I gather the some of the things you were touching on before, the expectation is that premium will remain strong going forward as uh, given the ESG. Um, no analyst or anything like that, but um, I think, you know, if it becomes a preferred, you know, preferred feed product to smolders and, you know, the environmental concerns, um, you'd probably expect that premium to remain or maybe improve. You mentioned um, projects were parked up in 2013 when they were owned by Jupiter. What was the iron ore price back then? How low did it get? Now, that's when it sort of retreated back to about 30 US dollars a tonne. Yeah, we forget. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it caused a fair bit of pain in the market when it dropped uh, back to back to those prices. Yeah. So what, what are we today, 110, 115? Uh, about 115 uh, currently, so it has come back a bit, but, you know, that's still a pretty reasonable price for iron ore. But, you know, we hear of stimulus in China, you know, in the second half of the year, so... Yep. Um, hopefully that eventuates. I had a quick look at your share register. Now, you are 
for a fully independent company. Jupiter is no longer involved, as you mentioned. But you do have a bunch of interesting shareholders there. Can you just run through some of those? Yeah, so um, Nitz and Bintley, uh, they uh, maintain their shareholding, so they are a major shareholder in um, um, Jupiter. And the other shareholders that came through from uh, Jupiter was um, AMCI Group and collectively with um, Hans Mende and Franz Kundren there, they're the HJM and FRK, mm-hmm. so they're the owners of AMCI, so collectively they've got about close to 16%. And then we've got um, Priyank Dapiol, he was CEO of Jupiter Mines, so he was my old boss back in those days. But he's their PA, is he? Yeah, so he's still maintaining his shareholding, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and one interesting one is Tiger Hill Global Fund, uh, which they can fund out of um, London. They've actually accumulated uh, after our listing, so... And they're very supportive shareholders for Juno. And recently we've had Hanco Invest come onto our register, which is good to see. So you've got a lot on your plate. What's the cash position like going for the funds? So our current cash position is about $4.7 million. So, mm-hmm. And we uh, maintain, well, I'm the only full-time employee of uh, Juno. Really? Must yeah. be a bit lonely for this. <laughs> oh, no, I was sharing an office, so there's other people around, but... Um, <laughs> We like to keep our overheads down, and mm. um, but I do use um, some consultants and that, and and also that I've worked with previously to you know to do our work, and but we'll only man up when we need to. So yeah, but I expect that financial investment decision on Mount Mason. Well, we'll move office and um, man up to uh, to execute that project. All right, then. Uh, interesting story, Greg. So just bring it all together for investors and give them a feel for what milestones they uh, should be looking out for uh, as the rest of the year unfolds and we move into uh, 23. Yeah, so for Mount Mason, um, we'll be looking, we're going out and retendering all our major contracts. Now they'll be able to go into um, executed hard-numbered contracts. That's the basis that will be. Do the backbone of our financial model and we look to finalise our logistics supply chain out into the Port of Esperance. And once that's done, we'll uh, look to make and uh, yeah, provide the iron ore prices favourable at the time. We'll look at making a financial investment decision on the Mount Mason project at board level. So we'd look to um, you know get into production. The target is uh, in the June quarter next year. That remains our target, um, and we'll do be doing everything possible to meet that target, provided you know will the dominoes fall the right way. Um, once we get that um, up and running, well then we'll. Um, you know, in the meantime, we'll still look at a strategy to, you know, get Mount Ida moving along, attract a major partner into that project and uh, then start doing the work required to bring that bring that project along. So that's pretty much in a bit of a quick snapshot, Barry. Interesting times for the company. Um, yeah, uh, financial final investment decision looming on uh, Mount Mason at some point, as long as iron all holds together, which we think it will. And then the... Um, yeah, kind of world-scale uh, Mount Ida project in the background, so uh, coming along. And, and I think, you know, with, as far as the you know, company value, we set, you know, every managing director says this, but we, you know, we uh, think we're <clears throat> majorly um, undervalued, you know, just in a Mount Mason, but then also separately a Mount Ida Mena-type project. So, you know, there's really only one cent a tonne value contributed to Mount Ida, so um, in our market cap, whereas... Some of our neighbours have got a lot higher values, values than what we've got. But uh, anyway, that's the way it is. So, But we'll keep working hard on our projects. So, well, you've got those re-rating events ahead of you, haven't you, with the FID on Mount Mason and um, progress on uh, Mount Ida as we go forward. So, Yep. 
Alrighty, Absolutely. Ben. Interesting story. Thanks for your time today. Good luck with it all. Be watching with interest. Thanks a lot, Barrett. Cheers, mate.